Today's uh, presentation will be a, a joint project. Beverly's going to be helping me. Um, our text today, John 1.14, very, very familiar, very beautiful. And the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten, or the only one in the Greek, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Some other texts I wanted to share briefly, Matthew 25, 40. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Today we're going to go into God's workshop, which is this world, to watch him at work through Jesus Christ, touching lives through his workmanship, that is people, helping people for him. The world that we live in uh, is broken, and even more so this year. Uh, the the tragedies abound, and one of the, I think, greatest tragedies and miscalculations ever in history has been the shutdown. Um, and according to the United Nations Global Impact, which is a part of the United Nations that deals especially with combating um, uh, hunger around the world, especially in third world countries, um, just recently they reported that um, on an average year, 25,000 people die from starvation every day. But during the worst part of the lockdown in many parts of the world, it's been much worse than it is here in the United States. They're predicting that as many as 300,000 people could die from starvation during this time per day. Another set of numbers which are related um, says the usual, you might say, average um, per year of starvation deaths is something like 9 million but this year they're expecting 125 130 million which is a credible credible tragedy and in fact this article from the united nations which not particularly one of my favorite organizations but nevertheless uh, the part that deals with combating hunger and disease um, in the World Food Program, are certainly doing what they can to to alleviate uh, as to as much as as possible uh, these tragedies. 
and they have referred to the COVID deaths by comparison as a drop in the bucket. So we're facing a very, very broken world. But praise God, there are people, there are organizations, there are groups of people, small and great, which are seeking to make a difference in this world for humanity and for God and for his kingdom. We want to share uh, briefly some of these stories today. There's an organization uh, started back in 1988 called Disabled uh, Crime Victim. Uh, I'm sorry, it was started in 1999, brother. Uh, Disabled Crime Victims Assistance. And um, this was founded by the mother uh, of a girl by the name of Elizabeth, who was a actually a classmate of my son, Russell, at Southwestern. And she got her degree, I guess, uh, in the area of uh, social work and was working in a mental health uh, retardation facility. And just a few weeks after she started, she was shot multiple times in the back and chest by a client, by a patient, uh, who apparently... <laughs> was an outpatient uh, who had came. And she has been, ever since then, uh, in a wheelchair, paralyzed from from uh, the chest down. Her mother began to try to find help for her. Her mother had been a very successful real estate agent, but now she was devoting all her time to helping her daughter. Uh, and so she began to find out what services would be available, what what uh, agencies maybe could help. Um, and so as a result of her incredibly diligent and effective work, um, she founded the organization that was named Disabled Crime Victims Assistance in 1999 to help other people, other victims of crime, to be able to find help that they need. Because she discovered that while there's a lot of different groups and different agencies out there doing good work to help others, they weren't talking to each other. Nobody hardly seemed to know of anybody else doing any work. And so her work was to pull together uh, the information so that people, crime victims, crime victim families, could find the help they need and not have to spend years trying to figure out all the things that had taken uh, Elizabeth's mother, Wanda, <laughs> to find out, the time it's taken to find out how to get help from these various organizations. It's uh, uh, located in Fort Worth, and uh, they are doing a, a tremendous work. Elizabeth herself, even in a wheelchair, uh, is still very much in, involved with uh, this outreach ministry, and um, it's been a privilege for me to interact with both her mother and, and the daughter uh, and from time to time, they're able to uh, to come down to the store and have met them and talked to them. Um, and I'm grateful. And this is certainly a beautiful illustration of through the power of God and through grace and mercy and courage that originally what was life had had caused what we might say circumstances of an extremely bitter lemon, but they chose to turn it into lemonade and to, rather than just suffer in silence 
or be sorry for themselves, the mother and daughter chose to form this organization to bless others, to help others. And that's what we're all called to do, is that to be a blessing to others, no matter what our circumstances may be. And they point out on their website, which is very, very interesting, the website, um, what the needs are. They're so great. 50 million uh, people in the United States with disabilities. 4 million in Texas. Um, persons with disabilities have a 4 to 10 times higher risk of becoming a crime victim than persons without disability. And uh, in, in all the areas, uh, said two-thirds to three-fourths of the women with disabilities will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Um, and every year, 2.1 elderly Americans are victims of some form of physical abuse, neglect, and or psychological abuse. Um, Six million serious injuries every year due to crime, resulting in either temporary or permanent disability. Um, so we live in an incredibly broken world. As Jesus said, Satan is the ruler of this world. But we thank God for the hope through Jesus Christ for his second coming and for those who are reaching out to bless others. Another organization which um, I learned about was the International Children's Care formed back in 1978 by a group of Christian lay laymen up in the Northwest. And originally it was to uh, set up a little orphanage for uh, homeless children in Guatemala after the uh, 1978 earthquake that devastated that country. Um, and they have gone on to continue their work to help both orphans as well as just children that couldn't stay at home, that were homeless or no one was able to care for them. And uh, now International Children's Care, which you can go and look on their website, which is beautiful, marvelous what they're doing, um, they're caring for over 400 children in 12 different countries, uh, making a tremendous difference. And I wanted to share one story from um, International Christian Care. And uh, this one, I believe, uh, did come uh, from uh, South America. And uh, this was a story of Mabi. Mabi is a 13-year-old girl. Uh, they lived in extreme poverty. She had several uh, younger siblings. And um, her mother realized that she could no longer take care of them. She couldn't feed them. Uh, she was uh, alone, um, trying to care for them. She, she knew she couldn't. But she had heard about a place called Hogar Campestra Los Pinos, the Avantista, the country home in the Pines, Adventist home in the Pines, and uh, home for children. And so the mother said, okay, I'm going to take my children there. And, and because I can't care for them, perhaps they can. And so um, the mother took all of her children there to, to live. And, and um, it's also a little school at the orphanage. And um, so uh, they went there and uh, continued to live there and, and grow up there. Um, and in this story, I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well, but here's a picture. It's just black and white, but it's a picture of, of, of maybe 
at 13 years old when she first came. Uh, a lovely young lady with bright eyes and wanting to learn. And, of course, they were very sad that they could no longer be at home, couldn't be with their mother. Um, but the way the international Christian care works is they're not just an institutionalized these children. They have little homes. They have home parents. And so, and it's basically recreating little homes for these children in a home setting as close as possible as perhaps what they lost, or maybe even better in many cases, uh, where it's not an institution setting, but rather in a true home setting. And um, so, uh, maybe says the most beautiful thing for me w was learning about God at this place. She thrived in school, loved her classwork, enjoyed writing letters. She wrote long and detailed letters to her sponsors, which they encouraged the children to do. And um, she said she could hardly believe that there were people who were wanting to help children they had never met, uh, but yet wanted to help them. She spent eight years at Los Pinos, went by very quickly. She graduated from secondary school with a certificate in accounting. Afterwards, she decided to return to where she had been cared for, Los Pinos, as a bookkeeper. She was so grateful. She was wanting to pay back, in a sense, uh, what they had done for her and to help other children. But she wanted to continue her education. There weren't many options available locally, so she enrolled at a university some distance away in Guatemala City. And after sundown on Sabbath evening, she would travel eight hours by bus arriving in time for classes on Sunday. After which she returned back to Los Pinos by bus, arriving to be at work Monday morning at the orphanage. She lost a lot of sleep during those six years earning her degree. And even though now she could go many other places and earn a lot more money with her degree in accounting, she has chosen to remain there to help children in situations so similar to her own. When she first arrived. And this is happening over and over again that the children that they have blessed, that they have helped, uh, if they are able to come back and to be a part of the, the outreach and of the International Christians Care. Uh, and we're so thankful. And my understanding is that uh, the ones there in the Northwest who are sponsoring this, this is all volunteer work the coordination and the organization and the fundraising. God, God is certainly, certainly at work. Another organization which is doing so much for um, young people, and especially Native Americans, is the Holbrook Indian School, which we got to visit several years ago when we went out to visit uh, Evie and Pete, uh, because they used to live very close to the Holbrook Indian School there in uh, northeastern Arizona. And uh, they have done such a tremendous work. They've been in operation for 70 years. It's a very small school. It's uh, something like 65 kids, maybe 70. And they provide um, a boarding school, first grade, all the way through 12th grade. The needs are so great on the nearby reservations. <laughs> and, and the challenge is so great that in many cases, the... Uh, when the, when the children hear about it, or maybe parents hear about the school, they want to send their children 
And usually the little ones don't come alone. They come with older siblings. Um, and so doing such, such a tremendous work on behalf of these young people. Um, and I was so impressed when I got to visit to see uh, the, the areas. They had a tremendous garden. They, had, they were teaching horsemanship. Uh, they were teaching auto mechanics. Uh, and I'll mention a, a few other things in a moment. So much practical things along with the regular, you know, high school book learning uh, that could help these young people. But on their mission statement or challenge, if you go to the website and they show you the pictures and beautiful pictures of these young people, it talks about imagine living in a nation within a nation. Imagine the constant dissonance between the identities and value systems of the two nations. Imagine living in the world where it is reported that one in three women suffer sexual abuse. Almost half the population never graduates from high school. Only eight out of 100 have college degrees. It's only 8%. Where more than 50% of the population live at or below the poverty line. 40% of those who die by suicide are between the ages of 15 and 24. And so they come with all of these background troubles of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, trust and abandonment issues, and not to mention the, the, all the other physical abuse that many have suffered, as well as the, the uh, atmosphere of alcoholism. But here's the beautiful answer that the, this little group of, of teachers are doing for these kids. The faculty and staff of the Holbrook Indian School seeks to safe, provide a safe haven for our students to live, to learn, and to grow in Christ by giving our students tools and skills they need to face the challenges before them. It uses a multidisciplinary approach, nurtures the creative spirit of each student by teaching them how to express themselves through art, graphic design, and photography. Along with the math, English, science, and history, they have vocational classes such as welding, auto mechanics, woodworking, and horsemanship. They also seek to preserve the Native American culture by teaching the traditions of pottery making, Navajo language, and government. And we got to see some of their pottery work when we were there. Beautiful, beautiful work. And finally, the school desires to restore the image of our creator and our students through what they call new NEW acronym for nutrition, exercise, and wellness health initiative. And it's just beautiful uh, the the work that is done. And in two, in their case, students who who stay with them, able to graduate, are now coming back to work at the school um, to help other students uh, receive the blessings that they have helped. I'll just mention one, one story. This young man by the name of uh, Adrian Wiles, he said he started working at the assistant boys dean on campus uh, this year. He says he first came to Holbrook as a third grade student. He says, I went to my dorm room when I first came and cried. It was hard leaving family. At the start of the school, I noticed there were a couple of other boys crying in the dorms. He says that now, speaking as a, as a young adult. He says, that brought back those memories for me. I was able to empathize. I told him, I understand your situation. I told him the story. 
of how I first got there, says Adrian. Some of the personal structures that the boys uh, come to whom wish showing emotion and relationships. And the question of the one, how do I deal with anger? And he suggested, well, play a little basketball. <laughs> Let it wear off. Apparently, when he was a student, he had a, there was a low-hanging basketball hoop installed on the campus for the young students, younger ones. And he said that's how he would kind of release his emotions by dunking the basketball. At dorm worship, he shares his testimony. He says, how I overcame obstacles. He said, I told the boys, I'm glad I grew up with a hard life because I wouldn't be the man I am now without that experience. And certainly not without Holbrook Mission School that gave him an opportunity for life and in this current issue, which you can contact them on email and they'll be happy to send you the newsletter or write the, or see the newsletter online. And it's just beautiful stories of how God is using this little school to tremendously bless, uh, bless uh, these people with such tremendous needs. All right, I'm going to ask Beverly to uh, share a story, which we came across recently, which tells about really uh, love in action. You may have seen or heard this before. Anyway, in 1979, I was managing a Wendy's in Port Ritchie, Florida. Unlike today, staffing was never a real problem. But I was searching for someone to work three hours a day just for lunch. I went through all my applications. Most were all looking for full time or at least 20 hours a week. I found one, however, buried at the bottom of a four inch stack that was only looking for lunch part time. His name was Nicky. I hadn't met him, but I thought I'd give a call and see if he could stop by for an interview. When I called, he wasn't in, but his mom said she'd make sure he'd be there. At the appointed time, Nicky walked in. One of those moments when my heart went through my throat, Nicky suffered from Down syndrome. His physical appearance was a giveaway, and his speech only reinforced the obvious. I was young and very sheltered. I'd never interacted on a professional level with a developmentally disabled person. I had no clue what to do, so I went ahead and interviewed him. He was a wonderful young man, great outlook, task-focused, excited to be alive. For only reasons God knew at the time, I hired him three, day, three hours a day, three days a week to run the grill. I let the staff know what to expect. Predictably, the crew made sure I got the message. No one wants to work with a retard. To this day, I find that word offensive. We had a crew meeting, cleared the air, and prepared for his arrival. Nikki showed up for work right on time. He was so excited to be working. He stood at the time clock, literally shaking with anticipation. He clocked in and started his training. He could not multitask, but man, he was a machine on the grill. And now for the fascinating part. Back in that day, there were no computer screens to work from. Every order was called out by the cashier. It required a great deal of concentration on the part of all the production staff to get the order right. While Nicky was training during his first shift, the sandwich maker next to him asked the grill man trainer what was on the next sandwich. Nicky replied, single, no pickle, no onion. A few minutes later, it happened again. It was then that we discovered Nicky had a hidden and valuable skill. He memorized everything he heard. Photographic hearing. What a skill set. 
It took three days and every sandwich maker requested to work with Nikki. He was immediately accepted by the entire crew. After his shift, he would join the rest of his crew family drinking Coke like it was water. It was then they discovered another Rain Man-esque trait. Nikki was a walking, talking, perpetual calendar. With a perpetual calendar as a reference, they would sit for hours asking him what day of the week was December 22, 1847. He never missed. This uncanny trait mesmerized the crew. His mom would come in at two to pick him up. More times than not, the crew would be back there with him hamming it up. As I went to get him from the back, his mom said something I'll never forget. No, no, no. Just just let him stay there as long as he wants. He's never been accepted anywhere like he's been here. I excused myself and dried my tears, humble and brokenhearted at the lesson I just learned. <clears throat> Nikki had a profound impact on that store. His presence changed a lot of people. Today, I believe with every fiber of my being that Nikki's hiring was no accident. God's timing and will is perfect. This Christmas, we all, we hope we all understand what we're celebrating. We're all like Nikki. We each have our shortcomings. We each have our strong points, but we're all of value. God made us that way, and he doesn't make mistakes. Nikki certainly wasn't making a mistake, wasn't a mistake. He was a valuable gift that I'll be forever grateful for. We're celebrating the birth of one that leveled the playing field for all of us. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, Republican or Democrat or black or white. He doesn't care if your chromosome structure is perfect. He doesn't care what level of education you have attained. He cares about your heart. He wants all of us to love and appreciate the gift he gave us, his son, the Savior, our salvation. His son that was born to die for our sins, to pay our debt, to provide us a path to eternity. So this Christmas, let's check our hearts. There's a little bit of Nikki in all of us, and I suspect there is a Nikki somewhere in your life that's looking for the chance to be embraced. Thank God for that. Thank God for his perfect gift, Jesus Christ. Okay, I have one other that I'm really excited to tell you about. This organization is called Farm Stew. And I'm, since I'm a gardener, I took a big interest in this, and it's such blessings that have occurred because of this organization. It was launched in Uganda back in the fall of 2015 by an Adventist lady named Joy Kaufman. She's a nutritionist. She has a master's in public health from Johns Hopkins, and she's also a master gardener. She was serving with USAID in Uganda, and her assignment was to working with a farming co-op that wanted assistance in learning to process the soybeans that they were growing. So she conducted some hands-on nutrition and cooking classes featuring soy and vegetables and using the Bible as the primary text. Over the course of a two-day training, she taught the basics of a whole food plant-based diet, child nutrition, the importance of soaking grains and legumes to increase the availability of the nutrients. And they had a hands-on cooking class. They made soy milk, and then they used the residual that the leftover is called okara, and they put that back in porridge so they got all the nutrition. She showed them how to eat green soy like we would eat edamame and also to use a rainbow pot of vegetables with their whole cooked soybeans. Well, the response was fabulous. The Ugandan volunteers were thrilled with the fact that except for this information, nothing from the outside village was brought in. This was wonderful to see the interaction that happened naturally 
when these leaders that went to her class then conducted classes in their local language. They captured the attention and the heart of the class participants. Joy realized then that this training could save the lives of countless children, yet she had to go home to her own family. So she asked God what to do, and in prayer, she felt a still small voice say, hire them. So she hired the locals, and then they got some simple um, instructional materials produced there to give to the communities that they trained. And that way, right from the very beginning, the trainers were training new trainers and the work could multiply because the locals spoke clearly and they were communicating these health and nutrition information in a culturally appropriate way. So for the first 10 months, Joy self-financed Farm Stew with her own wages. She had started off with four people there. Farm Stew began in Uganda, it then went to Zimbabwe, and now it is in South Sudan. They're all legal registered entities in their separate countries, and they have a home base in the U.S. where they can accept donations. They're blessed with a diverse staff, and it's just wonderful. Their mission is to improve the health and well-being of poor families and vulnerable people by sharing the recipe of abundant life through the world. You know, every week these trainers go out And now there's many, 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 many trainers. They go out to villages and teach a class using the acronym FARM-STEW, F-A-R-M-S-T-E-W. And each week they cover a different topic. F is for farming. They teach farming methods that focus on organic, sustainable agriculture that works in Africa. They help families start a little kitchen garden demonstrating making compost, encouraging diligence in farming that can create a profit. Everything must be done on time, with a high standard, without waste, and with joy. That way the farmers can enjoy the bounty of the earth. For the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And each one of these letters has a Bible verse that goes with it. A is for attitude. It's to choose to live God's way, to be disciplined and have a positive outlook. The training emphasizes that all work um, must be diligently done. and We need to be good stewards of what have we been given, even if it's just a small patch of ground. For in six days, you shall labor and do all your work. Then they need, they're taught rest. Restoration is needed for body, soul, and soil is essential for good health. Um, they encourage adequate nightly rest, a weekly day of rest, and rest for the land by leaving the soil fallow for a year, once every seven years, so that it won't be depleted. M is for the meals. Like I said, they need to be plant-based and using mostly what the family can grow themselves. They promote nutrient-dense food production that addresses the deficiencies they have there, such as bright orange sweet potatoes with the vitamin A that's needed, and beans that can increase their iron um, intake. In Africa, serving one, one serving of legumes a day adds four extra years of life. That's huge. They're teaching that eating the rainbow with locally available tropical fruits and vegetables assures that all micronutrient needs are met and everyone participates in the hands-on cooking classes. S is for sanitation, something we take for granted here, but it's not there. Millions in Africa are plagued and die every year from a basic lack of hygiene and sanitation. Hygiene education encourages the use of proper hand and dishwashing techniques, and villagers are taught to build, 
maintain, and use their own latrines, rubbish piles, and compost piles. And this separates the unclean from the clean, which is a very important life-saving principle. And girls there are basically forced out of school and shamed when they mature. So they are provided with washable pads so they can stay in school. T is for temperance. Villagers learn moderation in good things and abstaining from things that are harmful. They're taught to remove addictions by a biblical approach that teaches that selfishness is at the root of intemperance. Their classes also prevent domestic violence as they include the whole family and community. They model a respect for the work of women and men, and they engage both genders in the act of cooking, gardening, and much more. And domestic violence has been reduced. Next is enterprise. Many of the skills taught result in the ability to make a product, such as something they grow or cook. Locals have taken this new knowledge and begun their own small businesses, selling the products they grow or make at home. And these business opportunities are available both to men and women, young and old, and in an area where women have almost no access to cash. Just a small change with a little small business can make a tremendous positive outlook. Many of these people are now able to provide all the food their families need, and the women have enough money from these businesses to send their children to schools, and they are just thrilled. You know, this is sustainability rather than a handout. And in the near future, farm stew food companies in Africa are hoping to be able to produce locally available foods for retail with all the profits going to sustain this outwork, outreach work of farm stew. And then water is the last one. For the people served by farm stew, a significant time, amount of time every day is spent fetching water that's often of substandard quality. They try to change that by increasing the access to high-quality water. Villagers are taught to protect existing water sources from contamination, and Farm Stew also tries to see that new wells are drilled. The newly trained villages value these water sources, and they're taught to drink a minimum of two liters of water a day. And that simple little change has dramatic effects in preventing and treating many illnesses. Now on the training, the farm stew trainers emphasize one of these principles um, each week. Their hands-on training make the lessons come alive and the participants thrive. The trainers in turn turn around and train others. Now when they went into South Sudan, that's the newest country they're in, in all the villages they trained, they realized there was a total of 45% of the little ones that were malnourished by the UN standards. After they completed the training and the people had gardens, they returned. The malnutrition rate then was zero. Not even one child was malnourished. And if you know anything about South Sudan right now, that is an absolute miracle. So this message is spreading over there like wildfire. That part of Africa is seeing a turnaround to good health. And I saw one of the local pastors over there on a video And he said that was the best program he had ever seen to truly help the people. And then when he came in later to interest villagers, even the Muslims in an evangelistic series, they were excited and thrilled to come. So I think we're going to see many, many results out of this uh, for people in heaven and also for great health while they're here.
Thank you, Beverly. Um, you can learn more at farmstew.org. Um, very, very interesting work. And incidentally, the one who started all this, uh, Joy Kaufman, um, she has her master's degree uh, in public health and also is a master gardener. So it was, she was the right person uh, for, for, to start this wonderful program. Uh, and we thank God for the work that is being done and blessing so many people. Trying to get down to it. Okay. Back in um, many years ago, uh, 1865, was a man by the name of Philip Brooks who um, had gotten to visit Jerusalem from the United States. Um, and um, he was so impressed, he got to attend a midnight service on Christmas Eve, 1865. And you remember the war had just finished uh, a few months earlier uh, in the United States. And uh, he says, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born. But the whole church was ringing hour after hour with the splendid hymns to the praise of God. And again and again, it seemed as if I could hear the voices I knew so well, telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. And... So he was so moved by that experience that he came home and uh, about two years later uh, decided to write a poem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all these years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. And then as it moves into uh, the last verse, uh, he actually wrote... Um, five verses, although many of our hymnals only have uh, three or four. Um, so beautiful. Christ is born of Mary, gathered above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. Praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will still receive him, still, dear Christ enters in. Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee, the son of the mother mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door. Dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in and be born in us today. We hear the angels, Christmas angels, and the great glad tidings tell. 
O come to us, abide with us, abide with us, O Lord Emmanuel. And the line that seems to be so beautiful, particularly, be born in us today. What Jesus Christ is asking for us, that even as he was born into this world, we have the privilege of being born again into his world. And we long for the day when we will travel together to his heaven. But just before our prayer, I'd like to mention one additional detail about this beautiful hymn. Um, the one who wrote the words didn't write the music, but he was the, uh, the one that wrote the words, was a minister at an Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. And he asked his organist to come up with a tune. And in 1868, Christmas Eve, the organist said the tune came to him. And it was first played, words and music, Christmas Day, 1868. Let us bow our heads for the closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we again praise you and thank you for the glorious message from your word of Jesus coming to this earth to be a part of our family, to offer each one the opportunity, the privilege, and the choice to become a part of his family. We pray, Lord, that the spirit of Christmas may remain in our hearts every day to bless others for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.